Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. The prophet Isaiah wrote in his Old Testament book, the ninth chapter and the sixth verse. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. Isaiah looked ahead. That's why we call it a prophetic writing. He looked beyond the here and the now. And he said, there will be a baby born. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. I am so thankful that through the words of an Old Testament prophet, he said, there is coming in the future something wonderful. There is coming in the future counseling. There is coming in the future the mighty God, the everlasting Father. But he didn't stop there. He said his name also would be called the Prince of Peace. And I am so thankful that what Isaiah saw prophetically, you and I can experience today. That peace is still readily available. That peace that was prophesied, was spoken of, was declared would come, it's available for us today. In fact, he went on to say, and of the increase of that peace, there shall be no end. In just a few moments at the close of this message, I will invite all of us to come forward for prayer, just to connect in prayer. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want to preach about that peace. Everybody say peace. Lord Jesus, thank you for this great service. What a tremendous anointing of your spirit that we are experiencing here today. And Lord, in the same measure that you have allowed us to feel your anointing in singing and worship, would you let that anointing lead us through the word right now? Would you let that anointing be mixed with our faith as we hear your word preached? And Lord, as Pastor Jay said earlier, let there be a supernatural development take place when we connect with your word and we respond in faith. Thank you for this season. Thank you for everything about this season that is so joyous. 
Help us today, Lord, through your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing and thank you for following along in, in your Bible. More than 42% of people surveyed in a U.S. Census Bureau survey last year reported symptoms of anxiety and depression. And this was a dramatic increase from even the two previous years. There is data from other surveys that suggests that this picture is very similar worldwide, beyond the borders of our country. A clinical psychologist by the name of Luana Marcus from the Harvard Medical School in Boston said, and I quote, I don't think this is going to go back to the baseline anytime soon. Because of this growing tendency in our culture today, I believe it requires a genuine honesty about our reality and a genuine honesty about any possible solution. We've got to be honest enough to realize we live in the real world. I preached a little bit about this last Sunday morning. None of us are perfect. We all have issues. Now, I don't say that to somehow flaunt negativity or excuse poor behavior, but we've all got things we want to improve. And so I think that we must look at where we are at through the lens of genuine honesty and also what the possible solution is. Because I don't believe that it's God's will to leave us in misery. I don't think it's God's will to leave us just discontented or to leave us in some sort of pit from which we can never begin to see improvement. It is along with being the New Testament's most prolific writer that I appreciate the Apostle Paul's honesty. It is in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter number 7, that he says this, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Verse 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Everyone look at someone around you and say, nothing good. <coughs> For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, how many of you feel just a little bit better about yourself when you hear the Apostle Paul saying those words? Paul reveals in a very personal way that we will struggle. We will feel inconsistent at times. We will see our inadequacies all too quickly many times. And just because one is saved does not exempt us from difficulty, pain, and even sorrow. 
Just because someone is born again of water and spirit does not mean that they are elevated into the heavenlies on a cloud and they never face difficulties. However, it is this same Apostle Paul, though inconsistent in his flesh, though struggling to try to understand his fleshly tendencies, it's the same man who implored the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and said, we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. Let me stop long enough to say that Paul did not declare that we will not sorrow. He said, we're all going to sorrow, but we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. We don't sorrow as people that are hopeless helpless and abandoned. We don't look at loss. We don't look at difficulty. We don't look at trouble through the same lens of somebody that says it must just be my lot in life, but rather born again folk look at trouble and say it's here for a time, but God is my helper. It is here for a season, but God's going to be the lifter of my head and he's going to pick me up when I'm down. Is there anybody that over the last 12 months you have found him to be that? He's been more than an ethereal idea, but he's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. He is a strong tower, the good shepherd, and the great physician. Praise God. We don't sorrow as those who have no hope because embedded in the Holy Spirit is a gift. The scripture calls it a fruit, something that comes naturally with the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that gift is peace. We sing about wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit. How many ever felt that before? You felt that peace sweep over your spirit. It wasn't just get by peace. It was wonderful peace. It was peace that went far beyond what you could ever understand or even experience on our own. And so we lift our voice and we teach about peace. We preach about peace. We sing about peace. Some of you 1960s flower children knew what it was to declare peace. Nations struggle to reach for it as they fight with each other. If this elusive reality is ever reached in certain parts of our world, it becomes headline news. But please listen to me on this Christmas Sunday 2022. Peace is something more than an ethereal good feeling. Peace is something more than a passive escape from reality. It is at Christmas time that we realize peace was heralded by an angelic host of shepherds keeping watch on their flocks by night. It was peace that was offered by our Lord. And peace is very, very 
real. There are people here today right now, I've talked to you in the last two weeks, you have said to me, God's peace is beyond what I could ever understand. I can't put my finger on it, I can't quantify it, I can't even explain it, but I know when God settles my spirit. I know when God steps in and goes beyond my natural instinct to worry and to fret and to get despondent about my... Come on, is there anybody you have found him to be the peace speaker? You have found him to be the peace giver. It's a soundness. It's a quietness. It's a contentment. And though it seems elusive at times, we can have peace today. You know what? Maybe God sent me to this pulpit to preach that for somebody that needed to hear that last statement right there. At this time, right now, we can have peace today. You can have peace before Christmas Day. You can have peace before New Year's Day. You can have peace before 2023. You and I can have peace today. It was Bob Coughlin that wrote it well. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. It is well. It is well with my soul. It is peace like a river. Everybody say peace. I need to make sure that we understand something today from God's word. First of all, peace is a blessing from God himself that he will give. Peace is a blessing from God himself. Where does peace come from? Do I get off in the corner and just kind of scrunch up my face and conjure up something until peace comes? No, God is the giver of peace. Psalm 29 in verse number 10, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. If you and I want peace, we've got to become a part of his kingdom, his family, because the Bible says he will bless his people with peace. Peace. Peace is a blessing that comes from God himself. I want to say it again. He is the peace speaker. We read this prophet Isaiah that I referenced just a few moments ago declare that his name would be called the Prince of Peace. That word prince means the ruler, the captain, or the chief. He's not just somebody who gives a little bit of peace. He's the ruler of peace. He's the captain of peace. He's the chief of peace. He is the giver of peace. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 72 and 7, it is the abundance of peace. Further on, the psalmist declared in the 119th Psalm, there will be great peace to those who love his word and they will not stumble. I like what one version of the Bible says. There will be great peace to those who love his word and they will not be offended. Real quick, I want you to look around this room. Just take a, take a gander around the room. Take a quick look. 
Look all the way to the other side. Look over on that other side where you wonder what happens over on that other side. Because you always sit where you sit. You think for just a second, just, just go with me right now. You think for just a minute, maybe in a group this size, there might be the potential sometime between now and when Jesus comes for his church for somebody to get offended. Not here, Pastor. You say, well, I don't know. You got to prove this to me. Can, I, can, can we just be real honest right now? We get five people. You don't need ten people. Just get five people up here and start asking them. Should you eat breakfast first before you open gifts on Christmas? Or should you just start opening gifts? Real tree? Fake tree? Classic holiday music? Groovy holiday music. <laughs> Ham. Turkey. Mexican. Some of y'all just felt something sweep in here when I said that. You don't have to have many people at all before someone's going to get sideways about something. But here's what the Word of God says. When you delight in His Word, He's able to give you the peace that you need and keep you from being offended. Keep you from ever stumbling. There's something, there's a recipe for peace and it comes from God Himself. He said, if you will fall in love with my word. Oh, pastor's preaching to somebody right now. If we will fall in love with this Bible, if we will make this Bible more than something that we turn twice a week and hear someone preach from, but it becomes our life, it becomes our daily bread, it becomes the source of nourishment for our spiritual soul, it can give us the peace that we need and keep us from stumbling. It's the way this God brings peace. He is the giver of peace. Can you say amen? Yeah. I also need to make sure we get this today. Peace does not come because we exist. We must search for it and we must pursue after it. Psalm 34 and verse 14, David said, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Get after it. Hebrews 12 and 4, pursue, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The Hebrew writer says you've got to get after peace. You've got to pursue peace. You cannot keep holding it against them because if you do, here's the promise, you will not see the Lord. Oh, you don't have to worry, Pastor. When we get over yonder, he's going to be over there, and I'm going to be over on this side of the, the, the eternity. His mansion's going to be over here, and my mansion's. I'm not going to try to be funny right now. I'm telling you, if we don't deal with this right here, we're not going over there. Pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord means to run after, to follow after, to chase after. What would happen if we'd exert as much energy pursuing peace as we do proving we're right? 
Romans 14, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. You see, peace becomes the culture of those living in obedience and submission to God. Peace becomes the culture of those living in obedience to God's word and to his will. That's why Paul said to the Colossians in Colossians 3 and verse 12, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Everybody say, put it on. Put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on. Everyone say put on. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let... The peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Paul told the Philippians, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Peace does not come. Simply because I exist, it comes when I pursue it. When I pursue it. Now this gives a little bit more meaning to the angels who showed up in the field to the shepherds. Said, we got great news. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Woo! That sounds really dramatic, doesn't it? But the thing that he gives must be pursued here on earth. The thing that God grants must be pursued and chased after here on earth. Now let me make sure that we get this before I, I finish today. Peace also, and this, this ratchets up the importance, peace defines the future of righteous people. Psalm 37 and verse 37, mark the blameless man and observe the upright for the future of that man is peace. How, how's, a, how's a peaceful future found? When you're blameless and you're upright. That means it, my, my conduct is governed by something more than just me. But the transgressor shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in a time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. I desire today with the help of the Lord and only the help of the Lord to be blameless and to be upright, to be morally and ethically pure, to be righteous. And my promise in scripture for that righteous living is peace. We cannot live for just right now, brothers and sisters. We rather must live for then, future, latter end. I'm living for peace now, but I'm living for peace then as well. Everybody say peace. peace. Now, I'm done because in my notes it just says altar. <laughs> so you know I'm, I'm done. I don't, I don't put that at the front. I put it at the back end. And our, our musicians can come just to give credence to that. 
But I want to read one more passage, and I have to confess something to you before I read it. And by the way, don't check out emotionally or, or in your mind right now. But I want to read a passage that I have read many times in my life, and I have used this passage. I have prayed this passage. Uh, some of you, when I read this, you will say, yeah, I've heard that passage before. But maybe with the help of the Lord, like I taught on Wednesday night, we can see something unexpected in a familiar place. David, the psalmist, is writing in Psalm 122. And he makes a statement in that psalm that we use a lot when we start off church services. And here's what he said. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. How many have heard service leaders say stuff like that? And usually that elicits a praise the Lord. Yeah, I'm glad. We're going to that. We're in the house of the Lord. Verse 2, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. Where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. So, in just a few verses, David gives this understanding of this place called Jerusalem, a very, very powerful place. It's a place where tribes come together and people go up. And anytime you read in Scripture about Jerusalem and going up to Jerusalem, that's not like just a metaphor. You literally have to go up to get to Jerusalem. It's a city that is set on a hill. You heard that verse before? You're a city that's set on a hill? That's an analogy of the city of Jerusalem because it literally is set up on a hill. When you come toward it, you're looking up at Jerusalem. And then David says this, verse 5, For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Then he says something that I have heard my whole life, and I've done it, and it's where I want to direct your attention in the closing few moments of this sermon. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. Now, I am 52 years old, and all of my adult life, I have heard respected, God-honoring leaders in my life who have said to me, Tim, when you pray, make part of your prayer that you pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so I have. Let me ask a quick question. How many of you here right now, just quick show of hands, sometime in your life, whether it was once or often, you've prayed for the peace of Jerusalem? Would you wave at me? You've prayed for the peace of Jerusalem. Okay. Now, I have prayed for the peace of Jerusalem for two reasons. Number one, because the word of God says it there in the book of Psalms. And also because leaders in my life have told me, you need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And my prayer would be something like this. So I'm going to give you a little, I'm going to pull back the curtain and give you a little sneak peek into my prayer when I would pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I would pray something like, Lord, I'm asking you to bring peace to the city of Jerusalem. 
Lord, I, my whole life I've heard that that's where prophetic things are going to unfold in the last days and the world's attention is going to be on the Middle East. It's going to be a pivotal place and there's people, uh, Arabs and Christians and Jews that live there and there seems to be always at odds and I'm praying that you would bring peace among those cultures and those people and I'm praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, maybe, maybe, I won't ask you to respond, but maybe your prayer has been something like that along that context. And so I, I began recently to start looking into a little deeper into what that means to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And the word Jerusalem literally means the place of peace. The city of peace. That's what the term Jerusalem, the name Jerusalem means. It comes from two different words, one of them being, and I'm going to say this in probably not completely perfect Hebrewic enunciation, Yirah, which is the abiding place. This is in Genesis 22 where Abraham took Isaac to the altar and he got ready to kill his son as the Lord said to put him on the altar and kill him. And right before he killed him with the knife in the air, the Bible says that the Lord provided a substitute sacrifice. And he saw the sacrifice, he took it, he offered it instead of his son, and he called the name of that place Jehovah, and I'm going to use a way that we say it, because there's really not a J sound in the Hebrew language, but Jehovah Jireh, or the Lord has provided, the Lord has provided and abided with me. The second part of the word Jerusalem is Shalem or Salem. It is a place of peace. Genesis 14 and verse 18 says that at this place, Melchizedek was the king. And over time, this place where Melchizedek was king became the city of Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem by its very nature is the place where peace abides and this has revolutionized my thinking about praying for the peace of Jerusalem because when I pray for the peace of Jerusalem now I am not simply praying for a Middle Eastern city any longer but I am praying for peace in the place where peace should abide I am praying. When I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I am praying. I believe that according to everything I've preached for the last 35 minutes is from the word of God, and I believe that we can trust that God will bring us peace. I believe that our families are supposed to be peace-filled families. I don't think God gets glory out of families that are ripped apart and always dysfunctional and, and hating one another and lying and cheating on one another and yelling and screaming. I don't think that's God's will. I don't think it's God's will for us to be dis, be. Uh, disunified in the kingdom of God. I don't think it's God's will for us to be at one another in the local church. This is supposed to be the place of abiding peace. We're supposed to be the people of abiding peace. Our families are supposed to be people where the peace of God abides with us. So when you and I lift up our voice and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, yes, we ought to pray for that city in the Middle East. Yes, we're instructed to do that. But we're also praying and speaking over our families. God, peace is supposed to abide in my family, and I'm praying for that peace to abide there. 
I am praying for peace to abide in the church. I'm praying for peace to abide in relationships. I'm praying for the peace in the abiding place of peace. Does that make sense? I want you to stand with me. So today, on December 18, 2022, I'm one voice, but I am lifting up that one voice, and I'm speaking over every family in this room, and I speak the peace of God over your family. It's not some magic thing. I can't give you some magic hocus pocus thing, but I can lift up my voice and declare peace over your family. Speak peace over your family. Speak peace over your marriage. Speak peace over your children. Speak peace over your decision making. I'm going to lift up my voice in the next few moments, in, in the closing moments of this service, and I'm going to pray for the peace of God to abide where the peace of God's supposed to be abiding. I'm going to pray for that peace to come. How many of you would join with me for just a few moments and you would lift your voice? We've got just one voice, but we do have one voice. And we would say, Lord, I am praying today for the peace of God to abide where the peace of God should be abiding. And I'm declaring it over my family. Oh, I feel that. I'm declaring it over my relationships. I'm declaring it over my children right now. I'm declaring it over what I can't understand and how it's supposed to be happening is not how it's happening, but I'm declaring it, I'm speaking it, I'm saying it, I'm using my mouth to say it right now. Come on, if that's you, I wish you would begin to pray for the peace to come where the peace is supposed to be. Come on, can I say it like this? Jerusalem is where the peace is supposed to be. So we're praying for the peace to dwell where it's supposed to dwell. Oh, that's it. Go ahead. Go ahead. There's something about a lifted voice. There's something about when you, sir, lift your voice. There's something about you, ma'am, when you lift your voice. Come on, it shreds the atmosphere of difficulty. It comes against the confusion. You begin to plead the blood of Jesus. You begin to call on the name of the Lord. God, I need your peace, and I'm claiming your peace, and I'm pursuing your peace. I'm going after, I'm getting after it, Lord. I refuse to let dysfunction have another moment in my life. I refuse to let disunity have another day in my family. I refuse to let the devil have another month in my life, another year in my life. I am reaching today for your peace. Come on, the angels heralded it. They said there's going to be peace on earth. Let's claim that peace today. Let's claim that wonderful peace today.